This is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're joined by Chris Dunn, the legal director of the New York Civil Liberties Union, who's here to talk about high-speed police pursuits, specifically the danger they pose to the general public, and how they could be better regulated by state policymakers. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you, David. So for starters, I imagine from TV and movies, people have a certain perception of what high-speed police chases are like and how they're generally resolved. Can you talk about what these pursuits are like in reality, especially in major metropolitan areas like New York City? Well, you are right to be drawing a distinction between major metropolitan areas and other places. I mean, I think a lot of people on TV see cars zooming 100 miles an hour down highways. Uh, That doesn't happen in New York City for the most part. Obviously, we have a city full of city streets and sidewalks. Uh, So what might constitute a dangerous police chase it's not necessarily what many people would think of as a high-speed police chase. You know, a chase in New York City down Fifth Avenue that's going 40 miles an hour could be extraordinarily dangerous, uh, whereas there will be police chases in upstate areas, rural areas, where people are doing 100, 120 miles an hour. Uh, so there's a whole range. The, the real kind of key point is what are the circumstances in which a chase takes place? Um, and in some circumstances, going 60 miles an hour will be no danger at all. In other places, it'll be uh, a mortal danger for hundreds of people. Well, yeah, when we talk about danger, it's not just limited to the driver of the vehicle that's being pursued or the police that are making the uh, effort to track someone down, right? Oh, that's absolutely right. I mean, in fact, you know, the people who are in the least danger are the people who are inside the cars police officers and drivers who they are pursuing. The people who are really at risk, certainly in a municipal area, an urban area, are pedestrians, bicyclists, people with baby strollers, everyone who's out on the street who's not inside of a car. And the real danger in places like this is people getting run over on city sidewalks and city crosswalks, pushing baby strollers. It's a real thing. And how prevalent are these types of pursuits in New York City? And have you seen any changes in recent years or months, especially under the Adams administration? Well, one of the problems here is we don't know because the police department is not saying how many high-speed pursuits there are. Uh, Well, we do know, and we know this because we, the NYCLU, have forced this out of the police department uh, as a result of a new New York City law, the police department does have to report about the stopping of vehicles. A small percentage of those may be pursuant to a pursuit, but they have to report all stops. Uh, And we know in the first 18 months of the reporting, namely 2022 and the first half of 2023, there were more than 1 million car stops in New York City. That's a lot of stops. Uh, How many of those were the result of a pursuit? The police department has not said. Uh, And so there's a big hole in kind of our information about how prevalent these high-speed pursuits are. We highlight the lack uh, of transparency around these types of pursuits. Are there rules and procedures that police officers need to follow when engaging in high-speed chases, or is the area opaque there as well? Well, there's a whole range of rules about that. Uh, 
in fairness, over the last 10 or 15 years, police departments across the country have come to recognize the dangers of high-speed pursuits, and many police departments actually have adopted policies to significantly curtail them or even end them. The NYPD has not gone that far. The NYPD does have a policy. Uh, it's a piece of paper where it's written down that requires police officers to consider the danger when they're doing a pursuit. So, for instance, I'll, I'll actually quote it. Department policy requires that a vehicle pursuit be terminated whenever the risks to uniform members of the service and the public outweigh the danger to the community if the suspect is not immediately apprehended. Now, that's a nice statement of principle. Of course, the question becomes, what does that actually do in curbing police officer behavior? And the thing that we have seen, and you asked if we had seen recent changes uh, with the Adams administration, uh, there is now a high-level NYPD official who is very gung-ho about police car chases. And so we know from a bunch of indicators that police car chases are way up in New York City. We don't know the specific numbers, but we know they are way up. And you know, if you read the tabloids here in New York City, not a week goes by where you don't read about some incident where the cops are chasing some driver and people end up on sidewalks, people end up crashing into cars, uh, there's been a definite change in terms of practice here in New York City. But in terms of the rules of the road, if you will, those vary from police department to police department. Um, and that's one of the problems. There's no consistency and there's no complete recognition of the danger that these pursuits present. So when there are pursuits that result in injuries to the public, who is culpable for that? Well, you know, that's will depend on the circumstances. In many instances, obviously the driver who perhaps is being pursued because they violated the law and they've chosen to run, if you will, they certainly bear responsibility. Uh, police officers who engage in dangerous pursuits, they bear a lot of responsibility. Uh, but if what you're asking is, if there's a lawsuit, who's actually going to pay to deal with the fact that someone has been struck or even killed in a police chase, almost everybody is off the hook. Uh, there is no meaningful federal constitutional protections that protects people from high-speed pursuits. Uh, New York has a provision in its vehicle and traffic law that specifically immunizes emergency personnel, including police officers, from any sort of liability if they seriously injure somebody in a pursuit, absent some very extraordinary circumstances, like they intentionally tried to run somebody over. Uh, so one of the real problems when you think about culpability is people who are often the victims and their serious injuries or even deaths as a result of these pursuits have almost nowhere to go. Well, before we move on, let me reintroduce you for our guests. So you're listening to the Capitol Press Room, and we're talking about police pursuits in urban areas and the potential danger they represent. And our guest is Chris Dunn, the legal director for the New York Civil Liberties Union. So then what's the alternative to the current dynamic if regulations from the department itself isn't cutting it? Should there be more of a top-down approach with state policymakers getting involved? Well, I always hesitate to 
think that state policymakers are a solution to a lot of things, but this is a situation where there needs to be much more aggressive action. Uh, and that could start with legislative action. I mean, to be sure, police departments have been and should be, be getting much more careful about their policies, but police department policies only go so far. So I think that, for example, in New York City, just to take an example, this is something where the New York City Council should be mandating restrictions on NYPD police chases. Uh, we certainly have an issue in New York State with the New York State police, but we know that there's lots of traffic enforcement happening. There are lots of problematic vehicle encounters with the state police. Um, that's an agency that should have better policy. But ultimately, in your flagging minutes, this may be something where the New York State legislature just has to say we have to impose very strict limits on the way police officers are engaging in high-speed pursuits. And is there precedent for the state legislature getting involved in, in dictating day-to-day police practices? Uh, there is. And indeed, at some level, the existing vehicle and traffic law provision that I mentioned does exactly that. That is the state legislature weighing in and passing laws that are giving police officers free reign to engage in high-speed pursuits. Uh, and so what the legislature needs to do is just go back in and fix the law it has already passed to curb the discretion that police officers have to engage in those pursuits. And as part of the, that, the legislature should make clear that municipalities or localities that employ police officers who engage in dangerous pursuits should be financially responsible for the injuries that they cause. When you think about changing both policies at the state or local level, or just the way that law enforcement approaches these pursuits, does there need to be, I guess, a culture change as well? Because I have to imagine, maybe it's born out of the portrayal of these pursuits in TV and movies, maybe it's a product of how people think of law enforcement in general. But I have to imagine there are many people who think you know, I trust law enforcement to do what's best. Don't let the bad guy, so to speak, get away. So is there some sort of cultural sense that needs to be overcome in order to change the current dynamic as well? Well, I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, and, you know, you mentioned a couple of times uh, television. There is a glamorization of policing across the board uh, and a glamorization of car chases in particular involving law enforcement. Um, and that has a real power in terms of the way it influences uh, the way people think about things. Nonetheless, I don't think it takes much education for people to understand that a cop chasing somebody in New York City because they've got a broken taillight is, to use a legal term, nuts. Um, and I think there would be broad public support for significantly curbing police chases. There are circumstances, of course, where the the importance of apprehending somebody is very different. But for the most part, these things are arising out of vehicle and traffic law enforcement. Uh, and you know, everyone has concerns about things like ghost plates, uh, people who speed, people who weave in and out. Um, but at the end of the day, you can think about enforcement without chasing people like that. Uh, because the moment you start chasing somebody, 
introduce all kinds of dangers. And I think in terms of thinking about public education, um, I, I think it would be a pretty light lift to get people to understand that this is an area where common sense requires there be much greater restrictions on police officers. And I think the part of the people understand about this is that, you know, cops are very aggressive. Uh, and perhaps the most aggressive form of police activity on a day-to-day -day basis uh, is zooming around in police cars. Um, and in New York City, most police officers are in police cars. Police vehicles are kind of where their culture is. Um, somebody from outside of that culture has got to put the brakes on these practices. Well, potentially related to this, and maybe this is off the beaten path for you, is this idea of individual police culpability with officers and public officials in certain cases not having personal responsibility for their actions. Do you think that is part of this conversation as well that might make police officers think twice about when or, or how they embrace certain pursuits if they were personally culpable for what might happen if it's deemed that they are acting outside their scope potentially or not appropriately in general? That's absolutely a major concern. I mean, one of the scandals in our civil rights world is a most for the most part, police officers are completely off the hook when it comes to their misconduct, either by virtue of the fact that there are legal doctrines that protect them uh, or because they have negotiated contracts with localities that protect them or because there are statutory schemes in localities that indemnify police officers by which they get paid back if they are charged with some sort of offense. The fact of the matter is, it is almost impossible to force a police officer to pay his or her own money when they have engaged in misconduct, no matter how egregious the misconduct. Uh, and that's a huge consideration. I mean, you and I, and most people in the world, we walk around and do things. We understand that we have responsibility for our actions, and we understand that sometimes that responsibility translates into us having legal liabilities. Police officers, for the most part, simply do not have that. Uh, and to be sure, being a cop is hard. Uh, cops are entitled to certain protections, but we have gotten to a situation that is so far out of whack where police officers basically have no personal responsibility whatsoever for their actions, uh, which means they're financially immune, and it's almost impossible to discipline police officers for their misconduct. Uh, so that does leave a situation, which is completely understandable, where they feel like they can pretty much do whatever they want. Uh, and that's not a great place to be in terms of law enforcement and with people walking around with guns and driving cars. Well, we've been speaking with Chris Dunn. He is the legal director for the New York Civil Liberties Union. Chris, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. David, thanks for having us on. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capitol Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.